0: Yeah, that's a word right there. And Father, that's our prayer this morning. Um, Come, Holy Spirit, we need more of you. We need your help. We cannot navigate, we cannot function in the midst of our trials or in the resisting of temptation without you, with empowering us and emboldening us to keep our hearts in tune with the heartbeat of the Father. God, we, we acknowledge that um, we tend to lean on our own understanding, and you've told us not to do that, but in all of our ways to acknowledge you and that you would make our paths straight, that you would direct our lives and help us navigate through um, the trials that we, we encounter or the temptations that we face, the difficult times in our lives. So we thank you that we never walk alone that your Holy Spirit indwells us and enables us to sense your presence and to know that you are there and that you are good. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Hey, let's take our Bibles to um, James chapter 1. We are going to finish up chapter 1. So this third message in this series on... uh, Uncommon faith, uncommon faith, so i 'm going to back up to verse eighteen and start reading there uh, as we look at these verses so here 's what James says uh, in verse eighteen it says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created, and then he, he kind of tags on that, My dear brothers, take note of this. everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry for man 's anger does not bring about. The righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that so is so prevalent and humbly, humbly accept the word implanted in you which can save you. That word save means to deliver. Now, he's not talking about salvation at this point. Um, he's speaking of how the word of God can, can deliver you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like the man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, it's like not a one-time thing, but you continually do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And you went will circle that phrase that you're going to be blessed in what you do. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, in, um, all the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, in chapter 25, um, there God was meeting with his nation, the nation of Israel. And he instructed them to bring him an offering and to build him a tabernacle. And God was very meticulous about the details of this tabernacle, the dimensions, how it was to be constructed, and everything was to be overlaid with gold and 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 how it was to be divided up. And so, uh, in the tabernacle as well as later in the temple, there was a space called the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant resided. Right. So, Indiana Jones fans, uh, you know you know what that's all about. The ark of the covenant. And on the ark of the covenant, there was the cherub angels, one on each end, that were stretched. Their wings are stretched out over what is called the mercy seat of God. Now, in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22, and the reason I mention this, God says something very interesting to his people concerning that mercy seat. God says, it is there that I will meet with you and I will speak with you. I will meet with you and I will speak with you. He didn't just say speak to you, he said with you. And there's a big difference there in that preposition because if I just speak to you, it's a one-way conversation. If I speak with you, now it's a two-way conversation. So this is so so profound. I will meet with you and I will speak. I will meet with you and I will speak with you am going to I w I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have an encounter with you. See, that's my prayer. Every single time we gather in worship is my desire is that God would meet with us. And that he would speak with us in a very personal and a very profound way. So, God invites us, watch this whenever we come to worship, what God is inviting us to do is to bring all your fears, to bring all your worries, to bring all your anxiety, to bring all your stress and exchange it for him. Exchange all of that, leave it all on the altar. And walk away filled with God's love and filled with God's joy and filled with God's peace and his kindness and his gentleness and his faithfulness and his self-control. What are the fruits of the Spirit? God says, I want to meet with you when you're gathered as a people of God and I want to speak with you. And I want you to lay all that stuff down and I want you to pick up the Spirit of God and all that that entails and so when you come to the New Testament, I liken it to Philippians 4, nine, and it's probably a verse that many of you have memorized that says, my God shall what? He shall meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Some of your translations will say, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That word supply, sometimes we think of it as a container that God's going to fill up, but it really is Way beyond that, it's the idea that God meets with us personally, that he, whatever our need is, that God supplies himself personally through the Spirit of God to meet that need. So that if I come into a house of worship and my life is filled with anxiety, what God wants to do is to have an encounter with me where he meets with me and he speaks with me so that when I leave, I exchange my anxiety for God's peace. Or I exchange whatever else it is where the exchange needs to take place. Why is that important? Because this is what James is talking about. When you and I journey through life and we encounter trials, remember our relationship to trials, either you're in one, or you just came out of one, or you're heading towards one. It is during the course of those trials, depending upon the severity of the trial or the length of the trial, that we, if we 're not careful, that all of these negative things begin to fill our minds and our hearts and you know what started in the trial is like you know great faith in god and i 'm trusting God, and I know that god 's going to do a work in my life in this through this trial, and I know that god 's going to do this and, and man i 'm really trusting God, but as that trial lingers on longer and longer and longer, all of a sudden now your faith begins to erode. Your trust in God begins to waver. And now your mind begins to be filled with things like fear and worry and anxiety and jealousy and envy. And I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff that can fill our minds. And Satan comes along and he is tempting us in those areas. he says, see, I I told you, you can't trust God. I, I told you he will not bear you up. I told you that He didn't love you or you you, you stepped across the line and now he's just kind of giving you over to the consequences of your actions and your sin and he's abandoned you. And yet God comes along and says, I want you to know that in any trial that you've ever faced, any valley that you've ever gone through, I want to meet you there. And I want to speak with you. Because I have some things I want to say to you. And I want to help you through this journey because God is in the process, as James says, He's in the process of doing something inside of us, a deep work that God could not do apart from the valley that we find ourselves in. Whether God sent the trial purposefully or God just used the natural valleys of life in order to accomplish what it is he wants to accomplish. And so James says, while well, we're in these trials and and we're struggling sometimes, and, and Satan comes along and he starts, you know, because these trials oftentimes involve our our desires, and they may be legitimate desires. They're illegitimate desires like jealousy and envy and those kinds of things. But there's legitimate desires, and maybe that trial's in the area of a legitimate desire. And Satan comes along, and he always wants to offer you a substitute so he can separate you from God. And so he now he wants to rather than you walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he wants you to begin walking in the flesh. And so. So he starts appealing to the flesh and he starts filling your mind with things like the, the fear and the worry and the anxiety. And now we're trying, to, we're trying to make this walk with God something that is very personal, and something very real in our lives. And he says he comes along and he entices. We, we are tempted by our own evil desires. What makes our desires evil? What makes them evil? Well, it's the same thing that made it evil for Adam and Eve. They tried to meet a desire outside the boundaries of God's will. And they said to God, in essence, you know what, Lord, um, we know what you said. and we got this tree here we're not supposed to eat of, but we're going to step outside the boundary. We talked about last week this table being the boundary, the periphery that God has set for us for our protection. And they said we're going to go outside that, and so that's where Satan tempts us. And I preface all that to say, as we enter into this section of the book of James, I find it very interesting the transition that James makes. I find it very interesting that all of a sudden, when he's been talking about trials and temptations, that James all of a sudden jumps into the fact, well, you know, you ought to be what? You ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Get rid of all that moral filth, that evil from within you. And humbly, humbly receive the implanted word of God inside of you. Why would he make that kind of transition in light of what it is he's been talking about? Because we have to keep in mind the big picture. You see, the book of James, although Jesus is only mentioned twice in this book, James is drawing off his teachings. In fact, the book of James is like a running commentary of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus covered the same kinds of topics that he covers here. And so I think what he's trying to help us to understand is that when it's all said and done, what God is after is he wants us to be Christ-like, right? He wants us to think with the mind of Christ. He wants us to have the attitude of Christ. He wants us to have the heart of Christ, the character of Christ, so that we might live the life of Christ. And that's how he concludes this section in the last two verses. He's saying, look, if if the world's going to see evidence of Jesus in you, then they ought to see it through your conversation, the way you talk. They ought to see it through your compassion, uh, that is who it is you're helping, and they ought to see it in your conduct and the way that you live your life. Now, in order to get you there, God's going to use trials And so you're you're journeying through these trials, and you're resisting temptations along the way and to to bypass God and to try to do it your own way. And so the ultimate outcome is, my three big ideas for this morning is that that God wants you to know Christ. He wants you to grow in him, and then he wants you to display him. That's, that's God's calling upon our lives. That's part of the Great Commission, making disciples. Is we, we come to know Christ, and then we grow in him, and then we display him. We display him to the world around us. And that's kind of where James is going here. And so in verse 18 of chapter 1, it's like how, how do you come to know Christ? You come to know Christ through a supernatural encounter with God. It's important that you see that and you understand. He It says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the first fruits. And salvation begins with God. It does not begin with us. He chose us. Had he not chosen us, we would have never gone. Right, Jesus says, unless the Father draws you to me, you would never be drawn because you would have so walked in your blindness, you would have so walked in self that, that there's that deception that, that unless God's Spirit does a supernatural work in you to draw you into that relationship to give you opportunity to make that decision for Christ, you, you would stay in your lost condition. You, you would never come to faith in Jesus, Jesus says, again, no one comes unless the Father draws him. The word birth here means to bring something forth into being. It's the heiress tense, which means it's a past completed action. When God chooses you and the Spirit makes that invitation for you to receive Christ and you receive Christ, you are born, you are birthed into God's kingdom, into God's family. It's a past completed action. It never has to be repeated because you have now been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And notice how he says he does this. He does this through what? Through the word of truth. The spirit of God takes the word of God delivered by the messenger, however that happened for you, that brings conviction in our hearts, that breaks our hearts and reveals to us that we are sinners in need of a savior and the outcome of that birth is that we become the first fruits of Of all that's created, so as James is talking to a group of people who are the first fruits; they are the first ones who are receiving the message of Christ and accepting that message and choosing to follow Jesus as Messiah, and they are the first fruits. So here's my point in all of this, and how it ties to the rest of what James has to say. It's like Jesus explained it. It's like a kernel of wheat. In order for that kernel of wheat to produce something, it must first die. You put it in the ground, and you place it beneath the soil, and it dies, and it begins to rot, and all of a sudden, it breaks open, and then comes out a new shoot, and as that shoot is in the soil of nutrients, and as it's rained upon, and the sun shines, it eventually grows a plant, and that plant produces seeds. It multiplies itself a hundredfold, a thousandfold, or even beyond. Now, if I took that same seed and put it in my desk drawer and left it there for six months, I would go back and find out that that seed has not multiplied itself at all. And so what James is going to challenge us with is this. Look, you came to know Christ as a supernatural act of God, the Spirit of God using the Word of God, and you died to self, and you said, you know what? I have nothing to offer God. I have nothing to bring to the table. I'm dying to self. I admit to God I am a sinner, and I am in need of a Savior. And when you receive Christ into your life by faith, you were like that seed. You were planted in the ground, and all of a sudden, you died to self. And now what God wants to do is He wants to produce something Right, He wants to produce, he wants you to multiply, he wants you to produce fruit, and fruit is always for the benefit of others. And so we die to self. In fact, Jesus said every day we ought to pick up our cross and we ought to die to self. Because it's the only way, it's the only way that we are going to grow in Christ, See, Jesus told the parable of a sower sowing seeds, and he said there are four kinds of soil, and the condition of the soil determined whether or not it would bear fruit, if it would produce anything, if a crop would be harvested. There was the hard heart, you know, the the hardened soil. There was the soil that was rocky. There was the soil that was filled with weeds, and then there was the good soil. And so James is going to say to us, listen, You want to know how you keep the soil of your heart good and fertile so that as God is planting these seeds within you through the person of the Holy Spirit, he is beginning to do a supernatural work in your life. And as a result of that supernatural work, he's going to start Developing within you the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, as Paul said, let this attitude be in you as is in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2, he's going to develop the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God's going to be upon you, empowering you, and enabling you to bring his presence into the realm of wherever it is that you are. Whether it be your workplace, it be your home, whatever, and regardless of what might be going on around you by way of trials, as God is continually forming and fashioning your life into the image of Christ, you know, I'm moving forward steadily. I'm not going to succumb to those negative things that satan is going to tempt me with in my mind to sidetrack me from what it is that god wants to do i'm going to remain under the trial i'm not going to try to bypass it i'm not going to try to blame others for it i want to walk in an uncommon faith because common faith says god just get me out of it help me bypass it don't let anything bad happen to me but uncommon faith says god whatever you got to do and whatever you want to do and however you need to do it Let's go on. And then when I'm tempted, uncommon faith says, well, it really doesn't matter what you do as a follower of Jesus Christ. After all, we are all under what? Amazing grace. And therefore, I can just do whatever I want, live however I want. And it's all good because we're all under God's grace. And that is a seems to be permeating Christianity in our day and time, that it just really doesn't matter how you conduct yourself or what your speech is like or where you go or what you do because, after all, it's just all good because we're all under grace. That is not what the Bible teaches us. Yes, we are all under grace. No, we do not work for our salvation. It is a supernatural act of God, but God is very concerned about bringing Jesus and representing him as we should represent him wherever we are. And so James is going to challenge us. He says, uh, he comes in and he says, here's how you grow in Christ. First of all, you've got to clean out all known sin. He says, get rid of, get rid of. What does that mean in the Greek? What does that mean? Get rid of. Isn't that amazing? Uh, he says, my dear brothers, quick! To get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent within you. Stop claiming grace and hanging on to it. You know, when my daughter uh, started, youngest daughter, Marissa, started college, um, first year in college, they had to stay in the dormitory. Second year, she decided she and her girlfriends, they wanted to get an apartment. And so uh, they got an apartment, it was in the, it's, so you have University of Cincinnati, and you have a street here uh, where all the, the bars used to be, but they're cleaning that all up, and then on the other side of that street, it's called the Clifton area, and back in the day, the Clifton area, that's where all the biker gangs hung out, and that's why you have all the bars, because that's, that was just a big, big area, and it was, it was very rough um, and very dangerous, a very dangerous area of Cincinnati to be in. And so what happened over the years is developers came in there. They bought up all these big houses, and they, they developed them in apartments so they could rent them to the college students. So she's saying, Dad, um, we're renting an apartment and well, it's in the Clifton area. Uh, uh, okay. So I was a little hesitant about that. So we get there. We we really load up all their stuff, and we're meeting her girlfriends or her friends that are – I think there's four. There's three others. So four of them were renting this apartment. And so she's, you know, we're on our way there, and she goes, Dad, you're going to love this place because it doesn't have a lot of stairs. You don't have to carry a lot of stuff upstairs. Okay, well, like when we got there, it, ha- it did. It really ha- it had four stairs. You go up into a landing, and then you pivot this way, and then there's like 42 stairs straight up into the apartment. And then you get on some of like the main level that has two bedrooms, and then you go down another section, and you go up another 42 stairs to the upper uh, area where there's two more bedrooms. Right. So here's the problem, though. When we got there, the owner had not had that place cleaned up now hear me four males lived in that apartment for 4 years do you know how much stuff was left behind and what it looked like you you can only imagine right that place was an absolute mess it was a filthy dump and we're all there with our furniture, and we're ready to move them in. They were supposed to have all that done before we arrived. They knew when we were arriving. So Marla goes, she, she runs, and she gets a bunch of cleaning stuff, and we start cleaning up. And then the, the owner comes in, and he's just kind of like, you know, well, no big deal. And then he has the audacity to look at Marla and go, well, can I hire you just to clean up everything in it? See, that's kind of what God's saying to us. If you want to grow in Christ, there's some stuff that's got to go. It's what Paul talked about, taking off, putting on. Taking off, putting on. That's what James is saying. He's picturing taking off a coat, taking off a shabby, dirty, filthy coat, and putting on something. Watch this. Every single trial you go through. God is in the process of taking something off you that needs to be taken off and putting on what needs to be put on. That's why you don't want to bypass the trial. That's why you don't want to blame others about the trial. That's why you don't want to just complain to God. No, you want to stay in the trial because God wants you to be like Jesus so that you take Jesus and display him appropriately in every area of your life. And therefore, He's, put, he's taking off something, and he's putting something on you through the trial that you are encountering. He did this with every person all throughout Scripture. I don't know why we think we ought to be able to bypass this. We can't. Right? So in the midst of this, he's saying you're, he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why is he saying that? Because when we're in the midst of trials, and now fear, anxiety, worry, all of those things begin to overtake our minds and our emotions because our emotions lock into this when we're in the midst of this man we do not want to listen anymore right we're ready to talk to everyone and anything and we are you know we're out there putting it on on facebook i don't know what to do i don't know what to do please give me suggestions and and quite frankly as time goes on if you were really the word anger here doesn't mean like an explosive anger it's a deep seething anger that builds over time if we were really honest with ourselves when our faith Begins to erode and we're not seeing God And we're not sensing God Is that we become angry with God But we want to admit it Well that would seem unspiritual If God thought I was angry with him Like he doesn't know Really? Uh, And we're not listening But here's what God wants to do This is what James is saying Here's what he wants to do He wants to meet with you And he wants to speak with you in the midst of that trial. And the way that he's going to meet with you. The way that he's going to speak with you. Is when you have, you have this time with him. And, and every trial therefore that you have. That you encounter. It is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to meet and speak with God. To have um, this encounter with God. That will forever leave you Changed. That will forever leave God's imprint upon your life. And so He says, clean out, get rid of, take off. And when you start to do that, it's like most of you probably shared with our guys, it, most of you have a dimmer switch in your house. You know, you you can turn your lights up and down on the dimmer switch. Here's what happens. When you enter into that time with God and you're seeking God and you're seeking to encounter with God and regardless of what's happening in your mind, your emotions, you're just like, you know what, Lord, I'm going to sit down and for once, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up. God's saying, shut up. And listen to me. I want to have an encounter with you. I'm going to meet with you. And I'm going to speak with you. And I want you to hear my voice. And I want you to know what it is that I'm saying to you. Now listen. Just listen. And as you listen, see, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit your dimmer switch. As you listen, and as he begins to speak and he begins to move, he just starts bringing up the light and you begin to see things in God's word you never saw before you begin to hear the voice of the spirit as you've never heard before and you begin to encounter God as you have never encountered him before you see the problem is, is is like what Brian talked about is oftentimes we just we take our phones and we do our little thing with our with the word of God and we've checked off our little box and well I got my scripture reading in today and I got my little you know um hot, you know I highlighted some things. I even underlined some things. And if, but if I were to come back two months later and say, "Well, why, why did you highlight that? Why did you why did you mark that?" I don't know. I just felt like that was the thing to do at the time. And so then we go on and on, and we're not really having these encounters with God. And eventually, eventually, what happens is that. Um, Wow, we 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 start trying to juggle all these plates in our minds and our hearts as we're we're trying to meet with God and and it's just not working for us and I'm not hearing and and so I'm trying to juggle everything and 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 then the plates start falling and then I just say to God, God, you know what? I've tried this. I can't do it. It just doesn't happen for me. But He says, watch this. He says that we are to humbly. Here's the second point: humbly receive God's word. That word humbly or means to in humility, uh, which is a teachable spirit. Hebrews 5.11, you want to jot that verse down. It says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. And if you literally look that up, it means to be mule headed. You ever heard the phrase, you're stubborn as a mule. And God's saying, I'm trying to speak, I'm trying to, but you're as stubborn as a mule. You have already, watch you have already locked into your mind and your spirit exactly what I should do, how I should do it, and when I should get it done by, and you're not listening to me. What you are doing is you are imprinting, imprinting upon me what you think I ought to be and how I ought to act. And God says, I want you to have an encounter with me because I want you to see me for who I am, not for who you necessarily just want me to be. And so he says, don't be mule-headed. But he says, humbly receive God's word. How do you know if you have humbly received God's word? Just answer this question. What happens when I disagree with the Bible? Let that sink in. What happens when I disagree with the Bible? God is seeking to speak, and he's spoken, but you don't like it. How do you respond? What do you do? What's your next step of action that helps us to understand? He says, that we are to rece- humbly accept the word receive it implanted in you which can save you which can can deliver you there are times in which you are going to um you know disagree with the Bible. I don't know how many of you have, uh, whatever it is you use to navigate around, you know, if you've got an Apple's Maps on your phone or whatever it is you use, you know there's that little voice telling you, to turn here, turn there. Well, when we first uh, started that process, we had one of those, what are they called? Tom Toms. You know, Marla and I was trying to get to a concert and this, this thing is telling us where to turn, where to go. And I kept thinking, you know what? This is not right. This is not right. This can't be right. And so we end up in this neighborhood, and it's not even, like, we're way off track, but it keeps telling me this is the road to take. Turn here, turn here, turn here. So I'm in this, like, uh, residential area, and I keep turning, 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 turning. And here what I didn't know is at the end of that residential area, uh, the road stops here, and then there's a big old, like, creek, and on the other side of the creek, the road picks up, but there's no bridge. And so, you know, I I was so frustrated with this thing. I was so angry with it. I just wanted to throw it out the window because instinctively I knew this isn't right. This is not the right way to go. You ever treat God that way? Come on now. Admit it. God's seeking to speak and we're saying, but God, this isn't right. This is not, this is not going to work. This is not going to, it can't work this way. It cannot happen this way. It just, Lord, you need to, you need to get in on my plan. And so we become really stubborn. We become mule headed. And so he says, we are to humbly receive what God was saying. He's trying to speak to us. So we want to, we want to listen. We want to slow down our speech. What we, we want to get a a check on our emotions and say, God, above all else, I want to what I want to receive a word from you. And I'm going to get rid of all moral filth that might, that can be like wax in your ears. That would keep me from hearing the spirit. Listen, if you are living in known, willful disobedience against God is like putting wax in your ears and the spirit has a difficult time getting through to you. Even when I became a believer, not having grown up in church, there were just, there I, there were some instinctive things that I knew I had to get rid of, right? I lied a lot. So I said, you know, I can't lie anymore. And I, and I was, you know, had addictions I need to get rid of. And I had anger issues I needed to deal with. And I had bitterness issues and unforgiveness. And I, I knew instinctively because the spirit says, you know, there, you need to get rid of this stuff. That's where we're starting, Greg. That's our starting point. Now we're going to go really deep. You see, sometimes we deal with the very surface issues of our lives, and we think, I'm good, just like Jesus. Look at me. See a reflection of him. And God says, really? Let's take a little more intense look here. I think I can probe a whole lot deeper than that. And he does. And so James comes along and and says to us, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, verse 22, but do what it says. If you're going to ever grow in Christ, you have to do what it says. How are you doing? You know, Nike made billions of dollars by the phrase, just do it. How are we doing it? How are we doing, right? As a society, how are we doing in the area of diet and exercise? We spend billions on diets and exercise equipment that ends up in our basements with coat hangers all over it and gym memberships that we never use, and yet obesity is becoming a predominant problem in our country. How are we doing in our walk with God? We sit in church year after year after year after year, and yet 25 years down the road, we're still dealing with the same sins, same habits, same habits. Same things over and over and over again, and we see we are seeing very little progress in our lives, and we have to step back and ask ourselves the question, why? The reason is because you you have to do it. You know, it's like learning to ride a bicycle. When I was a kid learning to ride a bicycle, my mother did not walk up to me and says, hey, I bought you a bike. Here's an owner's manual and, and an instruction manual. Just read that and you'll learn how to, you, you can do it. No, what, like you, like me, Somebody they put training wheels on there so you can't fall over. And then they finally take the training wheels off. And usually your, your mom or your dad, they're hanging onto your seat, running behind you as you're pedaling along. You're kind of like wobbly all over the place. And, you know, don't let go, don't let go, we're not going to let go. No, and you let go and they're down halfway down the street, you know, don't let go, okay. And you learn how to ride by what? Doing it. Anything we do in life, we learn it by doing it. And what James is saying to us, listen, you can be the most knowledgeable person in the world when it comes to the Bible. But if you're not doing it, if you're not putting it into practice, you are not growing in your relationship with God. Obedience is more important than knowledge. Isn't it amazing. We 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 put people in churches for years and years. We would, you know, we come and we have Sunday night services and we do Sunday morning and we do Sunday night. We used to do training union and we had like four or five different things all week long for people in church gaining more and more and more and more knowledge, but we weren't in turn doing it, and therefore nothing was really changing in our lives. And so he says the word of God's like a mirror. Right? God's going to put it up in front of you. He wants you to see what needs to change. It's an accurate reflection of ourselves. And things happen when you really look in the mirror. Remember Job? very first chapter of Job. God's having a conversation with Satan. And Satan says, "Hey, hey, Job down there, he's supposed to be a righteous guy. God, the only reason he's righteous is because you bless him all the time. Really? Okay. Well, let's put that to test. And so Job said this of himself. And this is after he had this conversation with God. And, you know, he's he's getting he's he's in the trial, and it's the trial's extending and it's getting worse. And he's he's having this conversation with God. God said, You want to have a conversation? We'll have a conversation. No, let's have the conversation. Here's what Job said. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job was a pretty righteous guy until what? Until the mirror began reflecting down deep inside of him. Even Isaiah, the prophet of God, who was the spokesman of God for the people of God, when he encountered a vision of God in the temple, he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people who are unclean lips. And so as he had this vision of himself, all of a sudden he's seen the King, the Lord Almighty, and he was like, man... Uh, the mirror has shown and it's not reflecting back very well and that's that's what god wants to do he doesn't want us to, he says to forget which means to disregard he wants us to obey and by the way obedience is not a to-do list it is all you're seeking to do is you want to bring yourself in alignment with the spirit of god but obedience, he does say, is the key to being blessed by God. How many of you have read this verse? Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Familiar, right? Maybe you've memorized it. We give kids all kinds of things to memorize, right, in Scripture. Uh, we give them candy, and we give them stickers, and we give them check marks for memorizing Scripture because we think, our thought process is, you know, if I just get, get God's word in their heart, and if they memorize it, get it in their heart, then they're going to live righteously. How's that working for you, parents? Uh, i just, I like to know uh, when your kids reach teenage years, is that really really helping them? Why is that? Because they're not doing it. You're putting it in their minds, but they're not living it out through their lives. And see, that ties back to Psalm chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3, where it talks about being a tree producing fruit planted by the river as you meditate on, on the word. And we tend to think that if I just meditate on something, that'll do it for me. The word meditate means to chew on something, right? To think of it over and over again. To meditate means that every day of my life, as I'm living my life, as I'm making decisions, as I'm having encounters with people, I'm thinking about God's word and how it applies to this area. This is the wisdom of God. You're asking from God when you're in trials, right? James has asked for wisdom. Wisdom about taking the word of God, the knowledge of God, and applying it to everyday life. So as you're meditating on things, as you're putting that in your, in your mind, and as you're encountering, you're making a decision. You have an encounter with somebody at work, and they, they've said something against you, and they've they spread gossip about you. How are you going to react in a Christ-like manner? And so now you're your feelings are hurt, and you're all offended in your spirit. And so now the Spirit of God can take the Word of God and bring that to you, and it brings it up. And so then you say, you know what, God, I'm going to choose to live my life in alignment with your Word, and therefore then you display Jesus in a whole different way than if you were just to respond out of pure emotion. You kind of get in the process that James is taking us through because he's going to unpack this through the rest of his book. Because that's what he says in the very last two. Is how do you display Christ? You know He wants to take your obedience to a different level. So he says, look intently into this law uh, uh, that gives freedom. So you want to go intently. Here's why this is important. Because if you look at the churches that Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation. I'm going to wrap it up here. i got two minutes. If you look at the churches that Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation. Because it is also addressing we as Christians. Here's the pattern that Jesus gave. With the exception of two churches... Here's what he started. He started with the church of Ephesus. He says, listen, you began to lose your first love, right? You begin, after losing that first love, you begin to lose that sense of, you know what, spending time with Christ and walking with him and abiding in him and surrendering to him. And over time, you begin to compromise with the world. And then you begin to tolerate sin in your life. And, and then it was all ritual and rule keeping. And there was no spiritual vitality or power. And you were forgiven. You were not forgiven, but you were not free. And so we live uncommitted and indifferent towards the need. Of those around us, and because our mindset is, you know what, they are not my responsibility. And now we're walking, not filled with the Spirit, void of His power, operating in our lives. And here's the real danger, even if we don't realize it. Like Samson, who, who was, you know, messing with Delilah, and she cuts off his hair, and finally, you know, she says the Philistines are coming, and Samson jumps up, he's going to take them on. In the power of the Spirit, and then there's the saddest verse in the Bible that says he did not even realize God wasn't with him. And that's exactly what Jesus said to the church. He says, you, real, you have so compromised your lives that you don't even realize that the power and the anointing of the Spirit has left you. If God were to take away the Holy Spirit from our church or from your life, how many years would it take you to, to say, you know what, I think the Spirit's not here. So James says, let's not just talk religion here. How do you display Christ? You, it is evidenced, again, through your conversation, what you say, through your compassion, the people that you reach out to, the who, those who are you know, suffering injustice or whatever, they cannot pay you back. They, you're compassionate towards those individuals. He uses two individuals in his day and time, the orphan and the widows, but he's certainly not limited to just that. Through our compassion, through our conversation, because... And our conduct. Because really, the whole message today is is about this. It's about obedience. It's about sitting, listening to the Spirit of God. So that as you are going through trials and God is forming and fashioning you into the likeness of Christ, and you're sitting and you are absorbing and you are encountering God, and you are He is meeting with you and He is speaking with you and He is forming and fashioning you. And watch this, and the Spirit of God. Regardless of the severity of the trial, the Spirit of God begins to take root in you and take life in you, and He begins to transform you from the inside out. Because here, here's what I told my guys, and, and I heard this, you know, my wife gave me a, a message um, by Bill Johnson to listen to, and, and what he said, and it really, it's, it's really the desire of my heart and my life, is that whenever you walk into a room, you want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you bring a presence to that situation that people cannot deny. You just don't respond like ordinary people in your conversation, in your conduct. You, you just don't live like the ordinary person. You'll so align yourself with the Spirit of God and the Word of God who brings life and freedom within us. And so we're so aligned with that, that obedience is like we don't even give that a second thought anymore. Man, if God says it, I'm doing it. And then the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God comes upon your life. And I'm telling you, when when that happens, things begin to change. Not only in your life personally, but God, that fertile soil begins to grow and produces fruit. And that fruit is for the benefit of those around you. And God will change your conversation. He will change your compassion. He will change your conduct because that's what the Spirit does. Let's bow our heads together.